1: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by T-shirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, this is Taylor Viplis, and joining me on the podcast today, we've got our biggest guest ever, it's Hall of Famer, Charlie Scott, the first African-American, scholarship athlete at UNC, where he dominated on the basketball court in the late 60s. First, I just wanted to say, thanks for all your contributions to the university and thanks for taking the time to come on and uh, talk with me today.
0: Uh, thank you for having me on. And a uh, university has been uh, uh, one of my pride and joys of, of my lifetime. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm just glad to be a part of that uh, great university.
1: I help coach high school basketball now. And I told two of the coaches, I work with that I would be talking with you today, and you should have seen how their faces lit up, thinking back to your game, almost to the point that I got jealous that I never got to the chance to watch you live. How would you describe what your game was like on the court?
0: Uh, oh, you want me to? I say I was a little bit of James worthy with a lot of Michael Jordan. That sounds okay. That's that's a good, that's a good comparison. <laughs> No, 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 no. Truthfully, uh, uh, my biggest asset was the fact that I was six five and, and 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 very fast. Uh, um, so speed and, and and height was really my two biggest attributes uh, of in basketball. Being a guard and being six five at that time was. Was abnormal, so I mean, my height and my height advantage and my speed was really my 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 biggest advantages on the uh, basketball court.
1: Being a New Yorker is something that we all just take a great deal of pride in. How did growing up in Harlem and also playing at Rucker Park prepare you for what you would experience later on in life?
0: Well, growing up in Harlem uh, uh, prepared me for, for adversity. I mean uh, um uh uh life in Harlem I mean isn't what uh, a lot of people pick it to be I mean everyone talks about you know uh, the great days in Harlem but uh when I was in Harlem it, those weren't the great days so I mean the adversity and 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 the uh, uh the idea of, of of striving to survive was really uh survival was really the uh the apex of what most people in Harlem did at that time. So um the concept of how to survive uh was, was really uh, a, a very salient point and, and, and really uh, uh the fear of failure was something that pushed me uh, harder than anything else. You know, um uh once uh you get out of Harlem and I had a teacher uh named Miss Jared who took it upon herself to show me a a, a lot of things about life that I would have never experienced if it wasn't for her. And once I saw other things in life and and, and realized that there was other aspirations that I could reach for, um, uh, that fear of of, of not being able to ascertain those things pushed me harder and harder.
1: And in terms of basketball, is it a case of if you can make it at Rucker Park, you could make it anywhere?
0: (laughs) Well... You know, we New Yorkers believe that. I mean, but I play enough basketball, I know that there's great basketball players all over. But Rucker Park is, is, is a unique place in so much as that. You know, you know, first of all, we New Yorkers are always skeptical about anybody and anybody's brilliance. So, I mean, Rucker Park is always the test of, uh, of really how good a uh, basketball player you really are. I mean, uh, Julius Irving, uh, Tiny Archibald, even Dave Cowens, you know, all uh, have come through Rucker Park to ascertain, you know, their superstardom. And and, it's, and a lot of it started at Rucker Park. So, you know, uh, Rucker Park is, is really the apex for, for street basketball. And, and, and I was just fortunate enough to be one of those that made it out of there.
1: Can you take us back to your recruitment process? Because from everything I've seen, it was Davidson and UNC, and it even looked like it was leaning heavily towards
0: Davidson. Well, to be honest, I had uh, committed to go to Davidson. Uh, uh, Like I said, you know, uh, coming from New York City and coming from the environment that I had come from, when Davidson offered me a scholarship, and and really the coach of Davidson at that time was Lefty Gazelle, who's a very amicable and lovable person. And he allowed me to choose the other four guys who would be going to school with me. And um, he he really gave me carte blanche as far as his admiration for me. And and I was really uh, set on going to Davidson, but uh, my high school coach, who had a a lot more intuitiveness to the importance of being the first scholarship athlete at the University of North Carolina, really kind of uh, uh, leaned me towards the University of North Carolina. Once I visited there and and got to meet the players that I would be playing with, I felt very comfortable about the idea of going there, and um, uh, that was really the uh, essence that changed my mind. The biggest essence that really changed my mind was that uh, the weekend that I – the last weekend I visited uh, the University of North Carolina was well, the weekend that uh, they no longer have, which would just be called Jubilee Weekend. That was the weekend before final exams, and we used to have – they had big parties. And the weekend that I visited North Carolina, they had – Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and the Temptations on campus at that, that weekend, and I thought that any school that had Smokey Robinson and the Temptations was the school I really wanted to go to.
1: <laughs> With segregation in full force during that time, what was that contrasting feeling like for you to feel wanted by these schools that were recruiting you?
0: Well, you know, and like you say, I mean, being a black individual at that time, and, and, and plus going to school in the south and going to school like londonberg institute which was a black institution started by blacks started by a a man named frank McDuffie senior who was uh who was a student of booker t washington at tuskegee institute i mean pride and and responsibility was something that was uh, installed um in us to to really take responsibility on it at that time during the civil rights era, if any individual had the opportunity to make a difference, it seemed to be the uh, uh, the thing to do. And I just felt like that, you know, I was put in a position where I was given an opportunity to make a difference in a society standpoint and from a university standpoint in the South. And uh, my uh, high school coach and his infinite wisdom really pushed me in that direction.
1: What do you think that Dean Smith saw in you at that early of an age that you were the first African American to play on the varsity basketball
0: team? You know, now that's something that uh, I could not really answer because I mean, uh, quite naturally, he and my high school coach saw something in me that I, 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 I at that time didn't really have confidence in myself, knowing that I uh, would be. Uh, uh, Really, convenient or really ideal for that situation. I mean, those are things. I mean, those are things that teachers and coaches see in pupils that the pupils don't see in themselves.
1: At your Hall of Fame speech, you mentioned that Coach Smith was a mentor and the person you most admired in your life. Can you kind of expand on what Coach Smith meant to you?
0: Well, uh, Coach Smith, you know, came to my life at a time where i had neither parents nor guardian leadership and uh so coach smith came into my life when i was 17 years old and was really looking for a moral compass in life and so uh being around him uh, uh i i mean he was the person that i could look at and and, and chose as my moral compass in life and uh uh, from that, from the time I was 17 to the time of his death, Coach Smith has always been my moral compass. And uh, and and, and have, I've looked upon him as my father figure because uh, he and I had that type of relationship. I think that he felt an obligation for my success, and I felt an obligation to fulfill those things that he'd given me the opportunities to fulfill.
1: You could have easily went to a school that was already integrated but you wanted to go to a school where you could help that and be the first and take on that challenge. Why was that?
0: Well, really, uh, uh, my personality and my upbringing, I mean, really put me in that circumstance. I grew up by myself. Uh, My mother uh, had left uh, home when I was like 11 years old and my father was an alcoholic and he died when I was 14. And, And because of my school situation is that, the guys that I played basketball with, you know, really did not go to uh, the same school because I went to a high academic school in New York called Stuyvesant High School. So, I mean, I was always put in a situation where I was literally the only individual in that circumstance. I was the only black in my class at, at Stuyvesant High School in New York. So therefore those circumstances really had uh, been a, uh, done before by me, so it really wasn't a a circumstance where I felt, you know, uh, out of place sense. So, I mean, I I felt that I could accomplish those things, but really it was, uh, you know, the tutelage of of people like Coach Smith and and Larry Brown and and, and especially John Loss that uh, helped me along the way.
1: Being the first African-American on the basketball team, how was your college experience different than the traditional one an athlete would have, say, today?
0: Well, I, I didn't enjoy college. I mean, college. I mean, an uh, uh, athlete today, and even an athlete, after me I had the opportunity to enjoy the University of North Carolina, to enjoy the wins, to enjoy the, uh, 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 you know, the championship. For me, they were just re- they were just when those things happened. It, it was only a relief that I didn't fail my responsibility was always not to fail. So therefore success to me was just a relief. It wasn't an enjoyment. So I never got an opportunity to really enjoy the things that I was doing because I understood the importance of them. I understood the backlash that would happen when they didn't, uh, when I wasn't successful. And to give you an example, uh, New York times uh, did an uh, article on me where they followed me for two weeks and uh, they went to a barbershop with me the week before we would play in the final four where I just scored 40 against Duke and had scored uh, the winning basket against Davidson in the Eastern Regionals. And they went to the barbershop and the barbershop owner said how much that I could run for president and he loved me and, and I was a great person. Next week we went to Purdue and we lost by 20 and he went back to the same barbershop the reporter did and the barbershop owner said, you know, that shows you how niggas choke under the pressure. So those were the type of economies that I had to deal with, either was a success or I was a failure. So it wasn't an enjoyment period for me. And I think that the players today – and, I mean, although – I mean, I understood the circumstances going in there. No one tried to make it this, I mean, unenjoyable. But I'm saying the responsibility that I was under, I understood in, in understanding that responsibility. There was never an enjoyment in the completion. There was only the satisfaction that I had done what was necessary so others could follow behind me.
1: Going off that point that you just made, you carried this great weight on your shoulder and you were a star basketball player, which I'm sure helped get people more comfortable with the idea of more players like yourself out there. Have you ever thought about how the history of UNC could have turned out differently if you didn't live up to your basketball potential?
0: Oh, uh, no, I try not to think about failure you know i mean failure is not something that i think about so i never thought about failing you know and and it never crossed my mind that i would fail so um uh, that's one thing that uh no i uh in fact uh that's probably uh, one of my strongest uh characteristics that i never think about failure i never i never put failure in my mind and I never thought it, i never thought at any time that i would fail at something that i was doing
1: Going off your time at UNC, just trying to relate it to myself, most of my best memories from playing football at UNC were the times I got to be with my teammates off the field. So it's hard for me to even kind of process what that experience was like for you. How isolating would you say the entire process was?
0: Well, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I, mean, I could not go to the places with my teammates and have everyone else feel comfortable if I'm the only black in there. And my teammates definitely were not going over to North Carolina Central with me to be around a bunch of blacks. So, I mean, the circumstance was one that we really, I mean, did not have a relationship. I mean, uh, isolation was not a problem for me because – Coming from Harlem, even in isolation, I I, I had more at, at university than I ever had, you know, growing up. So the isolation part wasn't a problem for me, but I never thought at that time that I mean, I, and I understood at that time that there would not be a social relationship with me and my teammate because of the times, not because of what they wanted. But I would not put them in predicament where they would be ostracized by being with me.
1: Shortly after you arrived in Chapel Hill, Ricky Lanier became the first African-American scholarship football player at UNC. Were you close with him at all considering you two were going through similar type of experiences?
0: Well, I mean, yeah, uh, Rick, uh Ricky came and uh but see, the thing about it at that time was that Football, you know, which is really strange. Well, but it's really true today. Football is not really big in, in in North Carolina at that time. Basketball was everything, so football was kind of submerged. I mean, we never really had at that time a bold type football team. So, you know, I understood the uh, ramifications, but I, I think you know by being the first. It like took the it took the uh I, I guess the, the, the question marks of, of how someone will react off of there. So after that point in time, I think things were more acceptable after the first. So I, I think you know uh, Ricky, uh, but again in his own manner had to go through uh, certain uh, isolation circumstances. I'm pretty sure of, but because football and basketball really intertwined as far as when the season went on. We never really had opportunity to, um, I I mean, to really uh, uh, get together or talk about Mm -hmm. it. He had to really uh, relate to the circumstances that was put before him in probably a different manner than I did.
1: What was the experience like for you going on road trips and playing in other teams, arenas where maybe they weren't as open to the idea of an African-American on the opposing team?
0: It would be like, it, it would be like a Democrat going to a Trump rally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you stuck out like okay. a sore thumb?
0: Uh, you understand that? Yeah, I, I understand that reference. <laughs> okay, well, that's what it was like. You know, how, how you say, how, how do you say, you know, like, like you go to, you know, you go to the Coliseum and, and you put the gladiators in the arena, you know, and everybody, you put the thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah. I try to say on the thumbs up side as much as I possibly could. But yeah, it was tough. It was very rough. It was rough. It was rough. You know, he and Dixie played. It was rough being called names. But it was nothing unexpected. So therefore, it it it, it wasn't it wasn't new. It wasn't uh, something you know uh, that I didn't expect. I mean, I had some one time when someone confronted me face to face, and that was unexpected. But usually, cat calls from the uh from 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 the stands. Uh, I mean, I expected that and uh sometimes maybe it, it, it might have uh, uh, pushed me even harder to be more competitive. Growing up, I
1: loved baseball, and I would always read stories on Jackie Robinson and how he had a rise above the hate to not give people something to use against him. You mentioned that you kind of expected it, but for you, how hard was it at times not being able to respond when you were on the receiving end of such pure hatred?
0: Well, you know... It's, it it is really really tough not to respond. The only thing that 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 made it really solvable was the fact that it didn't happen on my campus, so I was not around it for a long period of time i mean it, you know uh you know uh and and, and to be honest with you. During those years in the ACC, I mean, it was very vociferous and very, uh, I mean, I I think, I mean, crowd, I mean, I think competitiveness was really very much on uh, up and up on all teams. So hatred was something that all teams dealt with each other. I just had a little bit more than the rest of the players on the team had.
1: Similar to Jackie Robinson, he had... Pee Wee Reese, as the teammate that stood by him famously against racial injustice, do you have any instances you can recall in Chapel Hill where your teammates stood besides you?
0: Every game, I mean, I mean, I mean, every, I mean, really, every game, I mean, every game, uh, the the team was uh, uh, ostracized. You, you got to realize that. I mean, I mean, uh, realistically. There were there were people on my team who had to who were ostracized by their by their uh, maybe you know classmates and, and and neighbors that they grew up with because they had never before encountered being with blacks. So I mean I, I I mean you know it was something that you know that I think I mean uh, uh, that they that uh, we always dealt with every day. So I mean it it, it wasn't just a a a, a one time instance. But I, I mean, I mean, uh, there was times when we were on the road, where places that the team used to eat at, that when we went in there with me, that that, that they were that we were told we, we could no longer eat there, and the team had to deal with those types of circumstances. And I'm pretty sure there were times when teammates were told was asked how could they, uh, a quote, you know, you know, play with a nigger, you know, on their team. So I mean. They had they dealt with it in their own way, but I mean, they—I mean, my teammates—I would always say were very uh, were very loyal to me. You know, as far as I know, and 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 really, uh, we have always stayed close.
1: After I believe it was your freshman season, came the nineteen sixty-eight Olympic Games, and uh, you were the yeah. fourth leading scorer for Team USA that won the gold medal. What was that experience for you like in Mexico City?
0: terrible uh uh you gotta remember that was the olympics of of, of john carlos and uh and tommy, tommy smith, smith and Avery and and Avery just threatened all of, of black athletes that if any of us did anything that we would be uh 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 really uh left in mexico and and, and ostracized so i mean you know i mean the enjoyment of, of, of playing was kind of uh, a damper with the uh, circumstance that, you know, uh, again, it, I mean, it was civil strife, civil rights strife was going on all over the country at that time. Man. Uh, and, and, it, and, and it reached deep into the Olympics and with Avery Brunswick. So, uh, yeah, uh, my experience there with him wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't uh, that uh Uh, enjoyable. And also that's, you got to remember It's the same year that Martin Luther King was killed. So, I mean, it was a very it was was a very strifeful uh, 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 time. I mean, but uh, being part of the Olympics, you know, I, I mean, making a team was important to me because I was not one of those players that were what 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 thought of it? You know, everybody thought the Pete Maveridges and the Rick Miles and the Calvin Murphy's and the Dan Isles of my class would be the ones that would make it. If anybody made it from the sophomore class, and and and, and I was the one that made it. So you know, I I I had a, a you know, and I think that that helped uh, uh, jettison me into the national. eye by being on the Olympic team, and and it helped jettison me to uh, to to national recognition.
1: The most famous moment you touched on from those Olympic Games, the Tommy Smith, John Carlos. What do you remember being in the Olympic Village during that time when when that event went down where they raised the,
0: the black glove fist
1: in protest of racial inequality?
0: Well, what I remember is that uh, immediately after that, uh, uh, the, the U.S. Olympic team called a meeting of all the Olympic players and told us that if anyone else did anything in that manner that we would be uh, thrown out the Olympic Village. So at that point we were threatened by uh, a rebloodger. So that was what I remember. All
1: right, I wanted to take a break here so I can remind everyone about Johnny T-shirt. They've been serving UNC fans on Franklin Street for a very, very long time. They're your go-to shop for all things Carolina apparel. Baseball season has started. Coach Fox has the heels off to a hot start. Johnny T-shirt, they have your baseball jerseys, they have your baseball shirts. If you still want basketball jerseys, they've got your basketball jerseys. Whatever you want, I'm sure that Johnny T-shirt has it and nobody has better customer service than Johnny T-shirt. They're family and alumni owned, they're great people. They're people that when you go to Chapel Hill, you should want to support them. So the next time you're in Chapel Hill, visit them on Franklin Street or you could go online to johnnytshirt.com. And don't forget, Inside Carolina, premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. All right, let's get back to Charlie Scott. The next year, the 1969 ACC Tournament Final, you get Duke in the championship. You're down big at half. Then you scored 25 points in the second half, shooting 12 of 13 from the field, scoring 40 points like you mentioned earlier. Which, by the way, forty points is still the ACC championship game record. What do you remember most from that game?
0: Well, what I what I remember most is that we were down eleven points, and 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 we had lost Dick Grubba. Uh, I mean, I uh, mean, the game before, and 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 it and and the thing about it was like I had, um, fear, of failure was something that you know that 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 totally drove me and. Um, and, and, and it was really a, 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 a fear of, of losing that game. That you know, sometimes you you get into a zone where you know just uh, every, you know that everything seems to go right, and that I I had that moment. You know, at that time,
1: it was also a time where you had to win the ACC championship to go to the NCAA me, tournament.
0: That's what I'm
1: yeah, yeah, so that's what even even yeah, that concept know, just yeah. sounds kind of crazy to me.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you know, I mean, the thing about it is though that what is, I mean? I mean, and I understand, you know, it being crazy because I, I remember the year that Maryland and and North Carolina State played, where both of those teams should have been in the Final Four, where mm-hmm. only one could have gone to the tournament. But the idea, what what you liked about it is that, and, and maybe I can say we liked it because when we were supposed to win, we won it. <laughs> you know, so I can mm-hmm. say that. But I mean, you know, I think that you know. It kept your competitive edge on such a high level, and you know, as a competitor, you know, uh, 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 I, I like being challenged.
1: Going off that, that leads in perfectly to the next question. You scored 40 points that game against Duke, and I want to list your scoring averages against UNC's biggest three rivals: NC State, 24.1 points per game; Duke, 25.1 points per game; Wake Forest. Twenty-eight point seven points per game. What is it about the big pressure games that always brought out the best in you?
0: Well, it's like I said, you know, fear of failure. I mean, I mean, really, I'd be, you know, uh, I'd be. I understood the circumstance I was in. I understood. I mean, what was expected of me, and 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 and, and I was fortunate enough. I had great teammates, also. I mean, don't lose sight of that. I had great teammates, you know, Russell Clark, Dick Ruba, uh Joe Brown, you know, Bill Bunny, you know, Gerald Tuttle. I, I I had great teammates, you know. I mean, we went to, uh, they went to three straight NCA, you know, Final Fours, and won three state Eastern Regionals, and three straight, you know, ACC tournaments. They are the only team that's ever done that. So you know, I I, I had great teammates, but you know, um, like I said, you know, uh, those. 14th they were in the state of i mean that was the state of north carolina that's what i was representing university of north carolina the competitiveness of playing against all those schools
1: and
0: and and, and again you know uh it's like family fight you know they're we all in the backyard we are 35 miles from each other so i mean that competitiveness was really you know the thing that drove me more than anything else
1: In the 69-70 season, you averaged a ridiculous 27.1 points per game, which still stands as the third highest in UNC single-season history. You scored 2,007 career points, which is good for six all-time at UNC. And everyone should keep in mind you did all this with no three-point line, no dunking, and no shot clock. If you could drop Charlie Scott in today's game, how do you think it would translate?
0: I hope I would do just as well. You know, um, you know, it's not good to ask an athlete, you know, what would he do? Because we all have egos about how good we would be, you know. But I, I, I think that my game uh transformed to to the today's game very easily. Again, because of my side and my speed and my ability to score from all, um, I mean, from any, from small, circumstances, which was uh, really brought on by my practice and, and the things that Coach Smith and Larry Brown had me work on. So, uh, you know, I think, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't mind playing in today's game. I definitely wouldn't mind getting paid.
1: <laughs> After Chapel Hill, you played professionally for 10 years and, this was just a question that I kind of got curious when I started reading more and more about you. Between the ABA and the NBA, you were a five-time All-Star. What were those games like back in the 70s? Because I've heard from coaches on my coaching staff now that they used to be intense when I started talking about how intense the fourth quarter of this year's All-Star game was.
0: Oh, well, yeah. Well, you know, because you got to understand was just, uh, there was just there a limited number of jobs at that time, and you know, and. And especially for black basketball players, they were you know you know teams had quotas on how many blacks they would have on their professional team you know because of season ticket holders, so you know uh everything was very competitive at, at that time you know uh, uh uh jobs was very competitive, i mean players were competitive, but not only that you know. It, it really was the '70s. Was really the launching of, of professional basketball becoming, you know, national. I mean, a national sport just, you know, in the states alone. You know, you know, uh, I played in the game for the championship that was played on tape delay. So you know, basketball was was growing to becoming the sport it was then. So yeah, I mean, I mean, it was great to have everyone so competitive at that time because you know there was a limited number of jobs and, and, and there was definitely. Uh, 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 limited uh, resources for players to get paid, so you know, um, uh, I guess we had to play, I mean, everything was was more competitive at that time, and there there was no chums on the other teams. There was no friends on the other teams at that time.
1: Okay, let's take one last quick break for a word from our sponsors.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game.
1: How would you put into words the moment you found out you were being inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in 2018 and realizing a lifelong dream like that?
0: To be honest with you, you know, uh, see, I learned from, from going to school to North Carolina to not to expect, uh, to, you know, like uh, like you said, my junior year I was first-team All-American. I, was, I, I scored 40 points. Uh, championship game. I mean, we went to Eastern regionals and I was all ACC, but yet still, uh, I was the only guy on the all-American team. But I was not ACC basketball player of the year. So uh, that that taught me to never expect anything, you know. Uh, be, and uh, so it, uh, being elected to the uh, National Hall of Fame was something that really I I, I um. I never saw myself as a person that was very friendly to reporters and and the media are usually the people that choose them. So it was something that I really never put my mind to. Uh, I had satisfaction in what I had accomplished within myself, so I I really didn't look to anyone else to give me that satisfactory feeling. But uh, once you are told that you are a, a, a Hall of Famer, I mean, your perspective, I think, does become a, a, a lot deeper and you become a lot more appreciative of uh, of being there. And then you, uh, you become a lot more confident in the acceptance of uh, what people appreciate of what you have done. And I think that uh, those things hit me when I found out that I was a Hall of Famer.
1: When you got inducted into the Hall of Fame, you invited Roy Williams to be up on stage with you at the ceremony. Why was it so important for you that he was up there with you?
0: Well, uh, Roy represented Coach Smith. I mean, I mean, uh, he represents the University of North Carolina, which is uh, a great part of of, of my life. You know, um, like I said, Coach Smith is probably the single most important individual in my life. And the University of North Carolina has been nothing but uh, good to me. I mean, the alumni, the the, the people that I've come in contact with, I have nothing but a a great admiration and and, and relationships with everybody that I've come in contact with, the University of North Carolina. So it's been a great part. I mean, it's been nothing but an enjoyable part of my life. And so, therefore, I mean, something that has been that enjoyable and has been that rewarded to me i i feel like i should show the appreciation for what they have done for me and, and, and my family
1: speaking of appreciation roy williams named his firstborn son after you what was it like for you when you found out he was doing that to honor you
0: well he only did it because michael jordan hadn't come along yet a four four year note.
1: jordan williams doesn't have the same ring to it
0: yeah you know, but uh, no, I mean, you know, uh, again, you know, uh, 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 like I said, Roy uh, has, has been a person that I, I have great admiration for. You know, he has been good to me and my family for as long as I've known him, and he has been good. A good friend of a good friend of mine, Bill Chamberlain, and so you know, uh, his dedication to the university has been unwavering and 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 i just have the greatest admiration for him and 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 i'm really appreciative and it's and and it's and it's great to know that someone has that much of respect for you that they name their son after you
1: to me you're undoubtedly the most influential athlete in North Carolina history because without you, there's no Phil Ford, there's no Michael Jordan, there's no James Worthy. The list of guys goes on and on. What is it like to think about and kind of see the guys that have come after you and think that you're the one that kind of got the ball rolling in the right direction?
0: Well, you know, um, you know hey, you know, like a guy said, it's pretty neat. You know, you know, it's pretty neat to 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 be in that position. You know, it's pretty neat, and 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 it's pretty uh, uh gratifying to know that that you have that that you set a standard that when people try to uh, live up to it, that it 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 puts them in it puts them in a a a realm of of, of greatness. You know, and 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 that's uh that's uh it's pretty good to to feel that you uh set a standard that people have uh ascertained and and gone to those levels of of greatness after you.
1: I saw through the Suns you got to sit down and talk with Cam Johnson and another Tar Heel was there, Walter Davis. How was that opportunity for you to get to meet someone like Cam who, although you guys are separated by nearly five decades, you still have this bond together through the Carolina basketball family?
0: First of all, when you said that five decades, you made me seem old as hell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or Cam's just really young.
0: (laughs) No, nah, but you know what? Uh, uh uh the thing that that is gratifying it's to know that the tradition that started back in the 60s, back with Coach Smith, back with Rusty Clark and them is still going on with Roy, with the players that lead today, that they understand the uh they understand the camaraderie, they understand the the friendship, and they also understand the relationship that all Tar Heel players have to each other. And um, it, 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 it's great to know that, that, that you're part of something that is bigger than you and that has a tradition that, that, is, uh, that has really uh, been the uh, character of the university that you've gone to.
1: Two of your children attended and graduated from UNC as a parent what was it like hearing about their experiences of a more diverse campus because of the path that you helped blaze?
0: Well, I mean, my two kids had a great time there, you know. uh, I mean, they experienced all the things that I was not able to experience, and that's very gratifying because it it shows the growth in the university and – and and it also shows you know the, the moral growth of, of 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 the society around there of Chapel Hill. But um uh, no, my kids in fact they uh they they had experience that I could only wish I would have had you know. But I understood that I couldn't at that time. But I'm glad to see that they had and 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 I've had uh you know and I hope many more after them will enjoy it just as much as they have.
1: Last year, the Jordan brand in North Carolina, they released the jersey honoring the 1969 team. And it was your number 33 on the jersey that people could buy. I think I got it within like the first minute that it was available. What was that like for you to see people wanting your jersey because of your impact on the university?
0: Well, you know, like I said, the university has been good to me. I don't have a bad Qualm about anything. I mean, and 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 if you go there, if you're part of that university, you know that it's a a, a special aura that, that that permeates from the people that are there. So I mean, I mean, I mean, I would expect nothing less. I mean, be it my jersey or any other Tar Hill jersey. I mean, the respect that the, that the, the alumni have shown to their to their players has been remarkable, and the loyalty it's is, is, is a two sided affair.
1: The last question I have for you before letting you go, if you would have told Charlie Scott in 1969 that 50 years from now, people would be wearing his jersey in the South, what would he have said?
0: I don't think he would have said anything because he, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard to, it would have been hard to predict that, but I mean, not only would it have been hard to predict that, the I mean the greatest thing that happened to me was when a young little white boy told me that he grew up wanting to be Charlie Scott and he would grew up in the south wanting to be Charlie Scott so that to me is significant.
1: Charlie thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today I I can't put into words how much I enjoyed our conversation and I'm sure the listeners at Inside Carolina will too.
0: Okay you're welcome I hope you have a great day.
1: Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.